Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue to look at the theme of God's unveiling truth and transforming light, we will study an amazing passage today. As the Apostle Paul encourages the church at Corinth, he begins to describe the glory of the gospel and how surpassing and permanent it is in comparison to the Old Covenant. Thanks for listening this morning as we focus our attention to the splendor and wonder of God's glory seen in the gospel in the face of Christ. Do you know the darkness of a nightmare? Have you ever had a dream that you thought was so real and in the middle of that dream so panicked for whatever reason an anxiety that felt like you just couldn't get out of it? I had a nightmare last night. I, um, um, I, I, I dreamt I was uh, in a, a jewel, jewelry store with my wife. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of you are, yeah, you're like, oh, I'm... pray for pastor. All right. it's, it's funny how things can seem so real in a dream. But they're sometimes so crazy that the jewelry store turned into one of those, uh, like, a, you know, those rock stores where they have gems and, and whatnot. And then it turned into kind of a rodeo. It was very strange. Was, but as far as my perception was concerned, um, I remember that whoever was in charge was blaming me for something. And I had this latent sense that I was guilty, but I didn't know what it was of. And in my dream, it was like a nightmare because I couldn't ever get out of the, the heaviness, of the weight of the pressure of the blame. And I remember distinctly, this was literally just last night, waking up and then looking out my window and seeing the, the pale uh, sky changing at 6.30 a.m. as our days are getting longer and just thinking, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God that was just a dream. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to tell you here this morning that my anxieties just dissipated uh, instantly, but they were more like a fog. I remember just having that real sense of panic, a real sense of fear, and it took a little while. It took a few minutes just for that smoke in my heart and my head to clear away, but it did so with the onset of the day. It did set so with the coming of the light. The night was over. I can't imagine what it must be like to live without the hope of Jesus Christ. It must be like a nightmare. It must be like a a latent anxiety and a pressure where you know you're guilty of something and you deserve a punishment that needs to come, but you can never find a way out. For the one who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what do you have? What do, you, what do you have? You, you have the very best you can do, but nothing that you can do will ever measure up to reconciling the offense that you and I have made before an eternal being. We as finite creatures do not have pockets deep enough to repay the debt of our rebellion. And so imagine the heaviness of that darkness. Imagine the despair that those who don't know Jesus continue to carry, for their eyes are still shut. They're still blinded to the light. I think of what it might have been like before the creation. You know the story, right? First few lines of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. 
And he said what? Let there be. Imagine what it was like before then. You, 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 you have the, the heavens and the earth, right? You have the earth, which is just a blob of water. Just, just darkness. Utter, complete darkness. When I served overseas, uh, we would often, uh, I would minister on another island, a neighboring island, and the only way I could get there was by taking what they call a water taxi. It's just a little speedboat that brings you in between the islands. And I would minister and teach, and I would finish um, at, usually late at night, and then I'd have a long two-hour drive all the way back to the school. Um, I remember there were a few times when I would get to the water taxi, and um, a gentleman who was in charge would be waiting with uh, some other people that he was waiting for on the call. But routinely over there, the power would go out. And every now and then, when I would be sitting alone there in the boat, and the power would go out, the clouds would be covering what was normally a starry sky that would be blinding, and there was no moon, just Darkness, And the only thing that you can hear is the lapping of the waves on the side of the boat without your eyes being able to focus. I mean, there's nothing there. There's no horizon. There's no stars. There's no orientation for what up and down and left and right, east and west and north and south are. Can you imagine what that was like? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be. And then there was light. We have a very similar Statement that's given by Jesus to those who don't know the Lord. He says that they will be cast out into outer darkness. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can't imagine what it must be like to live without the light of the hope of Jesus Christ. You would be left to your own abilities. And I don't know about you, But these hands of mine do not repair things very well. Can you imagine what that must feel like every day without ever waking up, without ever seeing the light of God's love shining through? We are in this series that's called Let There Be Light. It's the very first words we're talking about in this morning's passage. It really is the extended version of Don's children's sermon this morning. Um, but, it, but it's one that has this exact phrase that's in there. It, it's a fantastic passage. I'm very excited to teach it to us this morning. But, but uh, as we uh, begin looking into it, uh, I want to make sure we understand a little bit of the context for which Paul is going to speak to. Our passage is going to be found in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of the background. Paul is dealing with a church that has been in rebellion to his teaching. So the instruction that's coming from the Holy Spirit through the appointed apostle to the Gentiles is reaching a church, but they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear the word. Uh, you, you, can, you can look back to his first letter. You can look here to the end of the book of 2 Corinthians, and you can hear how repeatedly the call from the apostle is to repent of your sins. They're not interested in that. As Paul reaches now this, this last letter that he's going to send, things have been repaired. In fact, the church has repented, and they've done so because they have realized once more the light, the splendor, the glory that is found in the gospel. Not in your ability. Not in good works, not in keeping the law, but the good news and the glory that is found in the gospel. However, even as the church in Corinth has repented, there are still some of those 
people. There are still some who want to accuse Paul. It's a tough thing to be in ministry, you know. It's a tough thing. You're, you're going you're to see as we read through this, Paul's response of learning how he has found his confidence in the truth of the gospel. So that those who are opposing him, trying to come against the word that he has received from the Spirit, will in their end be found captive to their conscience. Because there's a reality with the light of the word of God. And you're going to see it as we look through this. So if you're with me here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is going to be contrasting these two realities that you can cling to. One being the old covenant and one being the new covenant. Now, which one do you want? It's not a trick question. Which you want, old or new? We want the new covenant. That's right. So let's let's look together here. First Corinthians chapter. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse seven. Paul writes, "Now, if the ministry that brought death, by the way, I got I got on my pause as we go through this. He's talking about the law here. The the ministry that brought death is the Mosaic law offered to the children of Israel in that it reveals the punishment for sin." Which is, there we go. All right, we're on the same page. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, by the way, what's he, what's he referencing there? Stone tablet, Ten Commandments, very good. It came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Now, do you have a comma after that sentence? That, that was a big introductory uh, premise, but what Paul is saying is if the old covenant came with a kind of glory and he references Moses there, even though it was fading, now he's going to contrast that. Here we go. Verse eight. Will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious had no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. If what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, you can't tell me that's not awesome. That is an awesome passage that we have. Um, I'm just going to even abandon my notes for a minute because I'm just so excited about this. Do you know the wonder of the gospel? God makes light shine. It's exactly the same words used in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And God said, let there be light. And do you know what God did for your dark heart? Do you know what he did for you and me? He made a new creation. He spoke to that which you could never do because you and I held in bondage with us as slaves to sin. He said, let there be light. Where? Where did he say that? Turn to your neighbor, say, in my heart. <laughs> he, he spoke to your heart. Let there be light. And made something brand new. Did something amazing. The wonder of the gospel is very simply this. None of us can save ourselves. All of us deserve the penalty of our sin, which is death. But God loved you so much. He took the punishment you deserve in and on his son, a son who is righteous without sin, not deserving of death, and yet taking yours and mine on himself so that his life now is offered to you in exchange. And do you know what you need to do to receive that hope? It's very simple. You just have to repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. The word repent is a Greek word in metanoia. It means a changing of my mind. I used to love my sin. I used to love it. I thought it satisfied me. But now that I know Jesus, I've changed my mind. I hate it now. I am a new creature. I am something that wasn't there before because light has illuminated the dark dungeon of my heart and has quickened within me. That's that's the word of the hymn we're going to sing later. Has produced alive within me a new spirit. Amen? This is the gospel. This is the good news. And so this is what Paul is wrestling with because he has those who are still in opposition to his message. He says, look, you guys, you can keep talking. We don't, we don't preach ourselves. You, you think we preach ourselves? We're not preaching Paul or Peter or Apollos. We preach Jesus as Lord. And so he commends himself to everyone's conscience by presenting the truth Plainly. Here's what I want us to do. Look at this for a few observations and conclusions from this passage. Number one, the law or the old covenant. If you're taking notes here, you you might write the old covenant. Uh, The law or the old covenant, it eclipses the glory of God. I'd love for you to see this here in the text. If you look back with me in chapter 3, 14 and 15, he says of these, 
who, um, who have been so blinded, uh, verse 14, that their minds are made dull, for the same veil remains whenever the old covenant is read, or whenever the law is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Like an eclipse to the light. It was a few years ago, I traveled with my son to Kentucky uh, because the astronomers said that the uh, moon was moving right over the United States to block out the sun. And so Mike and I drove down there and I, I took this picture. This is not from the internet. This is from my camera. I took it through a set of binoculars. Um, I had a filter over it, so don't worry, I wasn't that dumb. But you see, do you see the radiance of the sun, the brilliance of the sun? Where is it? It's eclipsed. You don't see it. It's blocked. That is what the message of the law does to people. This is what verse 15 says. It says there's a veil that's covering their hearts so they cannot see the glory. It's there. Look at what God has done. It's available. It's shining. Oh, but we don't want it. Human nature is so, uh, so tantalizes the concept of our own ability. Don't do for me what I'd rather do. and I can make it and you better make it too. And we just love to judge one another. To place ourselves just like Adam and Eve in the garden. To place ourselves just like the serpent did as though we were God. I want to be in charge. I want to say how things go. I don't want to be told what to do. The law reveals that. And if you're stuck in the law, you will never see the glory of the new covenant because it's an eclipse to the glory of God. These unbelievers, their hearts, they don't see it because there's this veil that's covering their hearts, keeping them from seeing God's wondrous mercy, love, and grace seen, in, seen only in the gospel. Number two, the gospel contains transforming Glory. This is Paul's greatest point. This is uh, the fullness of what he expounds upon. And you will see this made manifest in verse 18. So again, look with me back into the text. Chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That's the transformation. That's what happens. When you have placed your hope and trust, not in your own hands and ability, but in Jesus Christ alone, do you know what that turns you into? It turns you into a mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? It's not, it's not you're looking at a mirror. It's that you become a mirror. Because what is it that you are looking at? Don, you've got to help me out here. What is it we're supposed to keep our eyes on? Jesus. You're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we are looking at Jesus, what, do you, what will be reflected from us as a mirror? Jesus. Say it loud. Jesus. Jesus will. Look at verse 18. That's what it says. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Isn't that good news this morning? That for me is an amen. amen. Uh, um, are you there yet? Have you arrived? Are you as good as you'll ever be? Do you fully reflect Jesus as perfectly as you should? No, Pastor, that's why I'm in church this morning, actually. I'm coming here because I need help with that. And hey, I am with you. Because the text doesn't say that you are there. It says we are being transformed. 
Um, sometimes I'm guilty of taking a shower that's too long. Sometimes, I know. I pay the, heat, the, like the water bill, so you know what? Too bad. But I get out and I look, at the, I look at the mirror after a long shower and what's it look like? Does yours ever do this? Fogged up, right? And what do you got to do? You got to clean up a little bit, right? This, this is what we are. This is what is continually happening to us. Your and my process and progression in the faith is a continual, daily shining of that mirror. So that as people look at you, you all the better reflect the glory of God. And you do it best of all if you're looking at, if you're looking at Jesus. If you're keeping your eyes on Jesus. Here's the problem though. Let's talk about the kid's sermon for a minute. You take your eyes off Jesus. And that water starts to feel very scary. And those waves start to look really big. And that wind starts to feel like it might knock you over. And let me tell you something. Our world has a lot of wind right now. Our country's got some waves right now. We better keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. But when we do, the world that's in panic mode will look at you and be like, why are you so calm? How do you have it all together? And your answer is one name. It's Jesus. This is exactly what Paul says. Um, Look with me a little further in verse 18. Transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Jesus, we're the name in too. Increasing glory. Who's with me in church this morning? You with me? Increasing glory. Amen. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, this was two weeks ago. I was driving on M95 back to uh, um, US2, right, right into town. And I had to pull over because this was the sight out of my window. Uh, you, you will see this as an astronomical phenomenon. You can see here is um, M95 right here. Here's US2 going right up the hill, right? So you kind of see where I'm at right there. You, you've all been there, right? You can see where the sun is. It's is later in the afternoon. The sun is making its way. It's starting, uh, starting to set here. But um, these, these two things on the side, they're called sun dogs. You, you'll see them from time to time. It happens when there are ice crystals that are suspended very high in the upper atmosphere. But the halo, the halo? I love astronomy. I have never seen it this amazing. I had to tell my son to pay attention because he was with me. I was like, look at this. This is, this is a marvel. This is amazing. You know what that is? That's the glory that's, av- that's available. That's a depiction. The difference. If I, if I put those two images up, that of the eclipse and this, which one is better? Look at what's available. Look at the wonder and the glory. This is for the Apostle Paul and for my sermon this morning. The metaphor to cause us to appreciate and take wonder in the glory of the gospel. So in the gospel, there is uh, a transforming glory. I want us to look at that real quickly. I want to break that down of how that works in a few different ways. Number one, it gives you a new heart. You now get something that you didn't have before. The first place that we can see this, and I've already preached on it already, is in chapter 4, verse 6. You can turn there. You can look there with me. Paul says, for God who said, let light shine in darkness. When did he say that? Good. A bit of a trick question. So at the beginning, he said that. And guess when else he said that? When the Spirit spoke to your heart. Without Jesus, your heart is dark. Without Jesus, you are in a living nightmare right now. Without Jesus. But Jesus spoke to the darkness of your heart and he said, let light shine in darkness. And he gave you a new heart. 
Uh, you can see this as it uh, plays out for Paul in a few other places. Uh, I, in verse uh, chapter 4, uh, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not what? Yeah. He's, he has a kind of confidence he didn't have before. Because he's not looking at the world, he's looking at Jesus. And so his heart has this steadfastness to it. He's not going to fail. In fact, we have what I believe is probably, it's in my top five best verses in the entire New Testament. comes just in two chapters. So flip in your Bible just to chapter five of 2 Corinthians. This ought to be right up there. If you don't have this underlined and circled and tattooed on your chest, then, you know, this is awesome. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, help me out, new creation. What, what does the glory do? The transforming glory? It gives you a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Number two, or letter B to, uh, it brings your soul hope. Oh, this is a big one, you guys. This is a big one. You can have a new heart, but your, your new heart um, may still despair if it, hasn't, if it has stopped looking to Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? I got a transformed heart. You think I'm ever guilty of not looking at Jesus? Yeah, I, I can fall into despair. I know what it is to be discouraged. Paul says, I'm going to keep transforming you. The glory is going to keep working if you keep looking to Jesus. And it will give your soul Hope. I want to take you back into the text so you can see this. Go to chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, since we have a hope, we are bold. Paul gets all these accusations against him. Uh, there are those who are saying that he is, he's, using, he's deceptive. Paul's tricking the church. Now, Paul's trying to do something underhanded. He's doing it in secret, they're going to say. These, these are the voices and the words that are coming to him, but he says... I can be bold. Do you know why I can be bold? Because with a transformed heart comes a hope that will never leave. My hope will never leave. In fact, one other place I want you to see this uh, is in verse 17 of chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. Do you know what hopelessness feels like? It feels like bondage again. It feels like exactly what I felt last night in that nightmare. I had no way out. I didn't know how to fix the situation. I was, I was locked up. I was stuck. But hope is freeing. It gives your soul a balm to encourage you and to speak onto your life the joy of knowing the truth of God's promise that will never leave. Now, let me just tell you this. If it would leave, if you could lose your salvation based upon your own rebellion, who can keep it? Go ahead and raise your hand. Can you keep it? <laughs> Pastor, that's again why that's why I came to church today again. <laughs> it's a promise. It's a guarantee of the inheritance that would be given you. That is where our hope is found. Because these promises are ironclad before God. As true as the resurrection is true. See, it opens our minds to be able to exalt Christ, to be able to exalt God. Now, you will see this if we look back in the text here, that what has happened in verse 18 is that we are now transformed 
with ever-increasing glory as we look to Christ. If you uh, look over in chapter 4 with me, in, at the very end of the passage that we read in verse 6, he says, For God who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in us, in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The response of transforming glory is that you want to lift up Jesus. We're not really good at this, though. Even preachers aren't really good at this. We, we, we live with sometimes a fear and insecurity that we need to be told that you're doing okay, you're all right. Even in ways beyond ministry. Be honest now. Don't you love a little pat on the back? Yeah. Uh, I, I can think of the immaturity of young children. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Now it's cute, right? I think it's adorable. It's not so cute when adults do it, though. (laughs) A transforming glory will help you no longer want to exalt me, but exalt who? Exalt Jesus Christ. That's the transformation that comes here. Uh, You will see it listed out uh, very clearly in verse 5 of chapter 4. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. All right, lastly, the transformation here, it positions Jesus at the center. Uh, It makes Jesus the focus. It makes Jesus the hope. All of this, verse uh, 14 says it's in the face of Christ. It's only in Christ. Verse 18 says it comes from the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 6 says we see it in the face of Christ. It's obvious. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. All right, so... What do we need to do with this today? I have, I have two folks that I'd like to speak to. Um, the first are those who have not trusted in God. And they've never made Jesus their treasure. In fact, if you look with me back in chapter 4, the message of the gospel in verse 7. We didn't cover verse 7, but if you look at it just very briefly, Paul's going to say, we have this, what's he call it? It's a treasure in jars of clay. He, they, they are weak, just like I am weak, just like you are weak. We are the containers, the vessels that carry this treasure. But do you know what? There's a lot of people today who don't want Jesus. In in fact, before light was shown in the darkness of the dungeon of your heart, you didn't want Jesus either. And so to those people, this is what I have to say from our text this morning. Number one, you've been blinded. Chapter 4 in verse 4 says, The God of this age, by the way, God there in your Bible should be lowercase g. Uh, it's referring to who? This is referring to the devil. This is not referring to the creator God. This is a lowercase g. Satan is no God. He is an imposter God. You, you envision it this way. Imagine there's a throne on, positioned on earth for the rule. Who's the ruler of the whole earth? Who's the whole earth belong to? Well, it belongs to Jesus, right? Well, who's sitting on the throne right now? Playing like he owns the thing. That's the devil. And so this is, what, this is who Paul is referring to. He is the God of this age. And what has he done to unbelievers? Look in your text. He has blinded their minds so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Of glory. Uh, this was probably a decade or more ago. This was a long time, maybe 15 years ago. I, uh, I collect, 
I collect ancient Bibles. I really love uh, I really love the history of the unfolding of the Word of God. And so I, I have for years and years collected Bibles. And um, every now and then, a little dangerous, but I'll get on eBay and I'll just search, oh, what's out there? Anybody, any good deals out there? And I remember there was this one, uh, Tyndale, 1525 edition. Now, normally that sells for upwards of $12,000. You can usually find them about 8500 This one was being sold for $1,500. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, we got to talk about your salary. $1,500 is still a lot of money. Um, but when you look at what, it, what it's worth, I, I, put a, I put a bid out there. I thought I might get it. Well, at the very last second, if you've ever bought on eBay, what happens? You, I lost. I lost at the very last second. But then this little email popped up in my inbox that said, uh, Dear username, um, you, uh, you are the second highest. And the first one had to back out. So we'd like to offer it to you for only $1,200. And, and I said, what? Yeah. Right? I said, yeah, I can get it. And, um, and I didn't, I just kind of, after that, my eyes got all greedy and I didn't read the rest of the email, right? I, I just kind of skimmed over it, but it said that I needed to uh, send them the money because now that the uh, auction had ended, um, they were just, we were just going to be a direct sale to them, but they were still going to go through eBay. So um, I wrote about how, how would you like this? And then they wrote me back and they said, well, we're going on vacation. Uh, we're not available. So you have to do a wire transfer. And I said, no problem. I can do a wire transfer. And so I was living overseas, right? And I called my, my mom and I said, hey, could you go to the bank? And here's the number. Could you transfer some money? And she said, are you sure this is not a scam? And I said, no, this is amazing opportunity. This is amazing opportunity. Look what I'm going to get. And she goes to the bank and the bank teller lady says to her, are you sure this is not a scam? And I said, no, this is, come, just transfer the money because they're going to send it in three weeks. They're on vacation. We've been talking back and forth. Two weeks passed. Three weeks passed. Four weeks passed. Uh, I, I email eBay. Hey, just wondering. Uh, eBay writes me back. We never do wire transfers. This is a scam and you need to report it. Here's a government website. Now, were my eyes open? But what was I? I was blind. I couldn't see. It was so obvious. I went back and I looked at those emails that were sent to me. They weren't coming from eBay. They were coming from Mr. Joe at realwebsite.com. Like it was, you know, it was totally, totally fake. By the way, my, my church email got hacked like a year ago. I will never ask you for money on an email. Are we all clear on that? I will never do that. I will totally text you. Okay. <laughs> Here, here's my point in telling you this story. How, how was I blind? Because I was looking at myself. I was blind because I, I, I was looking at what I wanted. My eyes were open, but I was literally blind to what everybody else was trying to tell me. Do you know anybody like that? Is there, is there anyone like that in your life? You're maybe in your own family, maybe in your community who you just look at them and you're like, geez, if you could just see, you could just see sin. It's so obvious. Why do you love it? You should love Jesus. But they're blind. And it's the God of this age who has blinded them to it. Here's the answer. You want to know the solution? Jesus gives it to us in Mark chapter eight. He says, if anybody would be my disciple, he must 
deny himself. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Except the problem is nobody wants to do that. We, all of us, would rather have money than Jesus. Think of what your life was like before Jesus. Think of the darkness of your heart. You were blind. There was a time that you were blind. You'd rather have power than Jesus. You'd rather have sensuality than Jesus. You'd rather have greed than Jesus. Or some that I see, sadly, too often, you'd rather have revenge than Jesus. Or anger or unforgiveness than Jesus. Because nobody really wants Jesus. Until what? Until that dungeon is illuminated with light. And now, oh, see, it was a lesson that cost me $1,200. That's a $1,200 sermon illustration is what that is right there. So if you have not trusted in, in God, if Jesus is not your treasure, you've been blind. Number two, you preach yourself. You're so afraid of your own reputation. Your decisions are determined by how they benefit you. You are in love with yourself because everybody worships something. And unless you're worshiping God, guess who you're worshiping? Me, myself, and you preach yourself. In fact, this is what the Bible says. Verse five, Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. So we're being accused of. That's what the world does. But no, we preach Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord and master, the one who we obey. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 11 as Paul's going to talk about the position of where he falls as to how awesome he is. He says, if I must boast, you ready for his list? Here it is. This is what Paul's going to boast about. I'll boast about the things that show my weakness. Does he preach himself? What about you? What about me? How insecure are we to need more of this going on? Rather than have a heart that's been transformed by the glory of the gospel to exalt him over us. So, number one, you've been blinded. Number two, you preach yourself. Number three, you are dulled in the ability for you to exalt and obey Jesus Christ. This was found in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains like an eclipse over their heart. This, this is the wrap it up, pastor. Game's going to start soon. This is the I don't I don't get it. I don't know why you all love the word of God. I don't see it. Why? You're dulled to it. You don't respond to it the way that you should. We have a passage in First Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy about those who come in the last days. Spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. Look at what defines them. Whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Their conscience. You, you, you know what your conscience is, right? That's the part that God gave you to make you sensitive to what's going on. Have you ever been in sin in your life to the point where you didn't hear the spirit like you needed to? You kind of got used to it. I, I remember trying to sneak cookies to my room when I, was a, when I was a boy. Man, my heart was beating that first night. I thought I was going to die. But they didn't find out. At least I don't know if they did. But they never caught me. I got the cookies in my room. And guess what? The second night, it was a little easier. 
Third night, it was a little easy. Four, by fourth night, I'm just playing the harmonica walking through. Nobody, Because that's the way it is with sin. Your heart becomes callous, and this is exactly what's happening to unbelievers. They have been made dull. Uh, it was uh, just the other day, we were... Um, uh, I was cooking uh, chicken. I was preparing a chicken, and I, was, I pulled out the knife that I needed to cut through it. Oh, I just couldn't, I couldn't even cut through chicken skin with this knife. It was so dull. It wouldn't do its job. This is what's happened to the minds of unbelievers. So here's my word to you. It's very simple. Four words. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. You will see this in our text as, as the call given to them in chapter 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, the eclipse is taken away. And now there's freedom. It was for me this morning. Oh, that was just a nightmare. Oh, that's over. It's not real. It will never happen again. I live with the light of the knowledge of the hope of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's awesome. That's what happens if you turn to the Lord. So I hope that anyone here, if they are in that category, that they listen to God's word and that they will do that. But if you do know the Lord, if you do trust in Jesus Christ, if he is your treasure, then number one, let Christ be reflected in your actions. As people look to you, you should be a mirror that's ever being cleaner. Cleaner, cleaner, cleaner. So people, when they look at you, they see what you're looking at. They see Jesus reflected through your life. Now, I have actions up here to begin with, and I want, I want you to see that in verse 18. This is exactly what Paul has in mind because he's saying that when people look at us, our faces are unveiled. I'm wrapping up here, guys. I'm wrapping up. You're doing good. Here we go. Mo- Maury, he read for us out of Exodus. Do you remember the story? Moses goes up on the mountain, meets with the Lord, and when he comes down from seeing God, what's his face doing? Yeah, his face is shining, but here's the problem. It starts to fade. It starts to fade. Now, listen, Moses did not put a veil over his face to hide the glory so that the people would, because do you remember the story? He, his face is glowing. The people come to him and they're like, dude, your face is glowing. Like they're, they're, they're like, no, they kind of draw back and he calls them closer, but he doesn't put the veil over his face to protect them from the glory. He wants them to see the glory, but here's the problem with the old covenant glory. It begins to fade. And what's going to happen in the hearts of the people as they see Moses's face start to fade? What's going to happen? They're going to get discouraged. They're going to lose hope. So you know what Moses does? He hides it. He puts a veil so that they won't see it beginning to fade all the more. The glory that we have in the new covenant, it's unveiled. It's unfading. It's permanent. You and I, our task is to let the world see that glory because we reflect who Jesus is through our actions. Number two, you need to let Christ shine through your words. Remember the accusations in Corinth that Paul was receiving is you, you're, you're trying to do things underhanded. You're being deceptive with the word. That's what they were saying. That was the accusation. Look at chapter four. I want to show you where this comes from. He says in verse two, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. That's what he's being accused of. He's saying, we don't do anything secret. This isn't shameful. He says, we don't use deception. Paul, you're trying to trick the church. We don't use deception. 
nor do we distort the word of God. What's Paul referring to here? He's talking about his words. He's talking about the presentation that he gives of the gospel. He's talking about the life that falls in congruency with both what he does and what he says. And so, number two, church, let Christ shine through your words. How you doing today? I'm fine. How you doing? Come on now. I've been there. It's real. I know what that feels like. What's your problem? Look at these big waves. Look at the wind. Hmm. Yeah. You moved your eyes off of what you need to be looking at. I, I told someone this morning, this passage was for me. So if you get nothing out of it, I don't even care. This was for me. I need to be more positive in, in how I'm approaching things because I'm just a mess lately. Here we go. Number three. Let Christ be revealed as your, this is awesome, as your Lord. Last, this is the last one I want to show you. He says here in verse 5 of chapter 4, we, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Notice, he doesn't say Son of God. Now, is it true? Should you preach Jesus Christ as Son of God? Should you do that? Yeah, totally Son of God. Should you preach Jesus as returning to the earth, the soon and coming King? Yeah, you should do that. But that's not what he says. Give me, give me two minutes just to explain this because this wraps it all up. Lord means the one who is your master. Without bringing an illustration for me to talk about my dogs and how disobedient they are, I'll save that for another Sunday. How do you do obeying Jesus? Is he just your Lord on your lips? Or is he truly your master who you submit to? Who you fall under the authority of. Because Paul says that's how Christ shines from us. I am not in charge. Jesus Christ is the ruler of my life. He is my Lord. I'm going to show you a picture as I wrap up here of uh, two, two deer. I found this online. There's a lot of pictures like this online. Um, uh, I want to see if you can spot it. Here's the thing with this image. Off, right off the bat, everybody sees the first one, right? It may take you another minute. You might have to turn to your neighbor and ask for some help to see the second deer. But here's the thing. Watch this now. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Are you with me on that? You, you, you get this illustration? Once the light bulb has gone off, right? Once you see it, now it's the only thing that you can see in this image. Before it was hidden, before it was veiled, before I was blind, but now, now I see. And so now I cannot unsee. Now, every time I look at this, I see there in the sticks, I see there in the woods, another deer that's visible. You, in fact, you, you probably can't switch your brain off from seeing both deer. Now, I want to submit to you that's the same way it needs to be with the gospel in your life. There, there was a, a man, John Newton, who once was part of the slave trade. And when the Lord turned on the light switch of the dungeon of his heart, he who was once blind could no longer see his life the same. There was a change of his mind. There was a metanoia. No longer was his love bound up in the things of earth, but they now shifted to the place where Jesus is seated 
The Apostle Paul had the same instance. You heard it again from Maury this morning in Acts chapter 9. Paul on the road to go kill more of them Christians following the way. We're going to throw them in prison on to death. And then a light shone to Paul. And he falls to his knees. And he says, who, who are you? And for three days, thankfully, Maury kept reading. For three days, didn't eat or drink anything until Ananias came, laid hands on him and said, Brother Paul, Saul, receive your sight. And scales fell from his eyes. And both the words out of the lips of John Newton and the cry from the heart of the Apostle Paul that's been expounded for us in 2 Corinthians say these words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I used to be blind, but now I see.